All right, what's up, Traders Point family? How we doing? So good to be with you. I uh, want to welcome everybody across all of our campuses, those of you tuning in online and those of you joining us in our PM services. We're so glad to have you here today. And uh, if you've been around here for a while, you know that we are one church that gathers in multiple locations around our city. And there are several different reasons for that. Uh, we believe that healthy churches start new things. And we go all the way back to the New Testament. We just see that the church was always reproducing itself. And we just believe that uh, starting campuses and churches is the most effective way to reach people that are really far from God. And not only that, but to help facilitate um, our spiritual growth. Um, our, your spiritual growth, your walk with Jesus would just be more effective if you can be connected to a community of faith that's within a 20-minute drive of where you live so that you can serve and so that you can invite and so you can get connected. And so we are uh, one church that just gathers around our city. Uh, I love our city. I love Indianapolis. And I love this idea of linking arms with people all over our city to make the name of Jesus known, to bring some hope to people who need to hear it. And um, we are a part of something way bigger than ourselves. And so uh, earlier this uh, year, I announced that, uh, Lord willing, we were going to start campus number five and campus number six. And uh, campus number five is going to be in the Midtown Broad Ripple area, and then Campus uh, 6 will be in the Northeast Fishers area. And uh, I've got a couple just real quick updates for you before we jump in. Uh, first of all, uh, we are really, really close to being able to tell you where these campuses are going to physically meet on the weekends uh, as we launch them. I was hoping that by today I'd be able to tell you specifically, but um, we're, we're probably more going to start portable, which I think is a good thing, uh, before we end up moving them into permanent facilities. We've got options for both. Uh, but we don't have anything in, in ink yet, so it's probably not real wise for me to stand up and tell you where it's going to be in, in case it changes. But we're really, really close. Continue to pray. We'll be able to share some information with you when we have it. Uh, our West Campus, many of you know, has been meeting in a middle school on the west side, uh, doing an amazing job and uh, building plans for their permanent location are uh, soon to be finalized. It's looking really, really good, and we're hoping to be able to break ground for the West Campus in the very near future. And then uh, I want you to know that uh, Aaron Hoover is our Northeast Campus pastor. He is uh, an incredible leader, has done an amazing job kind of getting the staff for that campus together, getting the launch team and, and people in groups on the Northeast side. But if you've been here this fall, you know that we just recently sent out P.D. Kender to be at a church in Colorado Springs. And so we've actually asked Aaron to step out of that role and to slide over onto the executive team where he will actually oversee all of our campus pastors. And he's just going to do an incredible job. If you know Aaron and his wife, Megan, they're just amazing people. Um, and so uh, I want to just tell you who the Northeast Campus pastor is going to be. And if you're already on the launch team at Northeast, you probably already know him. Uh, but his name's Nick Durham. And Nick and his wife, Allison, have three beautiful boys. They're from the Northeast side. Uh, they love people that are far from God and are just really excited about this opportunity. They're going to do an amazing job. So what I want to ask you to do as a church family is if you know uh, Aaron and Megan Hoover or Nick and Allison Durham, would you just reach out and love on them, encourage them, tell them you're praying for them because they're going to do, both of them are just going to do an amazing job. In fact, as a church, can we just show our support to them, lift them up to them right now? going to be amazing. And uh, finally, like if you live within like a 20-minute drive of either Midtown or Northeast and you want to be a part of one of those launch teams, and I'll tell you what, man, 
you want to go on an adventure of faith, uh, join a launch team. And we would love to have you. The next gathering is going to be on November the 24th. Uh, so both of those uh, launch teams are going to get together separately, but the same night. November the 24th, you can go to tpcc.org backslash launch team. And uh, we would love to give you all that information. And uh, as always, uh, just to our entire church family, regardless of what campus you're a part of, uh, thanks for believing in the mission and the vision and what God's doing here and for your generosity and for just leaning in and being part of the mission uh, with us. It's, uh, we're looking forward to an exciting year ahead. Well, uh, today we uh, are really hard to believe. We've uh, got two short weeks left in this series with a funny name called Modnik. And if you're just now joining us, Modnik is kingdom spelled backwards. And we've just been talking about the backwards, upside down kingdom of God. And uh, to get things started today, I just uh, want to do a, a little survey here uh, by show of applause at all of our campuses. Which decade do you think gave us the greatest music? All right. So this is participatory. Uh, you get a chance to kind of express yourself here. Uh, so show of applause. Uh, let's just get the irrelevant decade out of the way. Uh, how many of you think it's the decade that we're in right now? that has produced the greatest music. Anybody? Yeah. All right, yeah. Yeah, they're all in kids' ministry right now, right? So they, they don't have a voice in the room. How many of you think it was the early 2000s? Early 2000s, anybody? Yeah, a couple people, a couple Coldplay and Beyonce fans, all right. How many think it's the 1990s? Anybody? There we go. There we go. You got your grunge on, little Nirvana, right? A uh, little Dr. Dre, maybe? How about the uh, 1980s? 1980s, where are you at? There we go. There we go. Hard not to love the 80s. You got Run DMC, Bobby Brown, Chicago, Def Leppard. I could go on. We had it all. What about the 1970s? Anybody? 1970s? There we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some good stuff there. You got a little Leonard Skinner and... I don't know, some other stuff, right? So uh, uh, for those of you that are maybe having trouble hearing me right now, all right, uh, somebody need a hug, come on. All right, uh, 1960s, anybody? 1960s, there we go. Um, just curious, anybody at any of our campuses were, was actually at Woodstock, anybody? Yeah, you're still recovering from... Woodstock, all right, well, that was fun. Thanks for playing along. And uh, the reason why I kind of do all that is that there was a song in the 1960s by a band called the Five Man Electrical Band that a better band in the 1980s called Tesla did called Science. And if you don't know the song, totally okay. Let me just kind of uh, give you the, the lyric here. Uh, sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Blocking out the scene. Some of you are singing it. Like a minute ago, you were not singing in the worship. But you'll sing this. All right, no judgment. No judgment. Just an observation. All right, so blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this. Don't do that. Can't you read the sign? And the whole song was about this idea that everywhere you look, there's a sign that says keep out. There's a sign that says your hair is too long. You're not allowed in here. There's a sign that says you're not dressed right. You can't come in here. There's a sign that says you believe the wrong things. You talk the wrong way. You've made too many mistakes in your past. You need to keep out. I actually did a little research this last week. I found some examples of some, you know, funny keep out signs. This one right here. I just said, please go away. I don't care. 
Uh, that's an interesting one. How about this one right here? I like this. Um, no soliciting. We found Jesus. We love our vacuum. Our pets are under control and our kids are selling the same junk you are. <laughs> Seriously, we don't want any unless it's Girl Scout cookies. Um, gotta love that. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, uh, sitting on the front row of coach seats on a flight, which is like the worst place to sit because you're close enough to first class to see and smell what you're missing. And uh, I'm sitting there and I, about mid-flight, I needed to use the restroom. And so the first class bathrooms were way closer to me than the bathrooms in the back of the plane and they were vacant. So I thought, well, it's no big deal. And I was wrong. And so I, I get up and I, I walk into the first class bathrooms. I do my business. I come out and the stewardess is standing there in the aisle and she has a very not nice look on her face. And she proceeds to tell me that I'm not allowed up front, that I can't go use the first class bathrooms, that I paid for a coach seat. And I was just like, okay, all right, you know. And I go back to the front row and didn't know the toilet paper was lined in 24 karat gold, you know. And I sit down and then she pulls that like thinly veiled curtain of shame. You know what I'm talking about? She's like, <laughs> and it was just a symbol that said, there's a dividing line here. Like you're not welcome here. Now, those are silly examples, and we've been having some fun. But you and I both know that this can be a very painful issue for so many of us. Because whether it's you or maybe somebody that you know and love, maybe somewhere along the line, you got the message. Maybe the message was verbalized. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just through body language or a condescending look that you weren't welcome here. You don't fit in. You don't have the right look. You're not wearing the right clothes. You don't know the right things. You're not conservative enough. You're not liberal enough. You're not masculine enough. You're not feminine enough. Your skin isn't light enough. You didn't say enough of the right things. Your behavior isn't acceptable enough. You don't know enough of the right people. And you just got the message loud and clear that people would rather not have you here. And maybe the truly tragic thing is, is that that message that you got came from a church or maybe a youth group or from a group of people that claim to know and follow God. And what they did was without really getting to know you, they, they judged you and your actions prematurely. Or they, maybe they observed a portion of your life and they made an assessment of the whole. And they, they made you feel small and they made you feel insignificant and they were arrogant and condescending and can I tell you, they were nothing like Jesus. See, Jesus did not come 2,000 years ago to start a social club called the church that meets on the weekends only for perfect people who've got it all figured out and who believe all the right things and don't have any struggles anymore. No, Jesus came to actually usher in the kingdom of God in which all are invited and all are welcome. And now he has said to us, man, if you're saved by grace through faith, then you bring that kingdom to earth. You live out the values of that kingdom for others to see. So in Matthew chapter six, a verse that we've just kept coming back to over and over again through the series, Jesus, as he's teaching us to pray, he says this, he goes, Father, may your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, he says, we shouldn't just wait around to go to heaven one day. He says, we should begin to live out the values of the kingdom of God for a watching world to see. And the values of this kingdom they're backwards and upside down, and we've just been walking our way through these as a church family, and we've been taking every letter in the word modnik that symbolizes an idea that represents values in this kingdom of God, just to help us to understand and remember them better. And so on week one, we looked at M, 
which stands for more is less. And then we looked at O, others first, and then D, descend into greatness, and then G, generosity flows. Last week was N, not to us. And today is I, which stands for inclusive. The kingdom of God is inclusive. Now, that word has a lot of baggage to it. And it means different things to different people. And in fact, I'm just guessing that if you're with me and if you're thinking right now, as soon as I said the word, maybe perhaps a flag went up and you thought, well, what do you mean by that? And I'm really glad you asked. Because let me start by telling you what it doesn't mean. And then we'll finish with what it does. So inclusive doesn't mean that we water down the truth in order to attract bigger crowds. Inclusive doesn't mean that we sweep conflict under the rug because we're afraid to have hard conversations. Inclusive doesn't mean that we don't call out right from wrong or talk about sin. It doesn't mean that we never challenge one another or confront one another in love. It doesn't mean that we'll agree on everything or that we will get along perfectly. And it certainly doesn't mean, well, you just do you because anything goes. It didn't mean any of that. Here's what it does mean. It means that in the kingdom of God, everyone is invited and all are welcome. I love the story that Jesus tells in Luke 14 of the, and in fact, anytime that he used or told a story about the kingdom of God, he would oftentimes talk about it as if it was a party or a gathering or a dinner feast. And he talks about this, like this, this gathering around the table in which the guy sends out invitations for it to be a part of his banquet and people ignore it. They don't show up. And so he sends his people out again. And this time he goes, just invite anybody that has a pulse. Just go out on the streets, invite anybody and everybody that you see. All are welcome because the dinner table must be full. And Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. He says, everyone is invited. In, in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who should ever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And oftentimes we stop there, but, but we need to go on. In verse 17, it says, God sent his son into the world not to, to judge the world. That's not the primary reason Jesus came. But, but to what? To save. He came to save who? The, the ones that believe all the right things and have their act together and have their lives all cleaned up. No, no, no. He goes, the world which is everybody within it, and through him. It means that we are all saved by grace through faith, which should rule out any hint of spiritual pride in the way that we treat, think about, and interact with other people, especially those who are yet to respond to the invitation of Jesus. Man, may we never forget Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says God saved you by his grace, not when you passed the theology test, not when you cleaned up your act, not when you overcame the addictions, but when you believed. And you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. See, Jesus has done all the heavy lifting for you and me. Salvation is a gift that comes to us by his grace. Therefore, for everyone who has ever felt like they don't know enough, they're not smart enough, they're not good enough, too many skeletons in the closet, too many mistakes in your past, too many failed relationships, bogged down by too many addictions, buried in too much debt, mistakes, shame, guilt, and regret. Jesus says, you come on in. 
you're invited. You're welcome. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone will RSVP. It just means that you're not the gatekeeper, and neither am I. Now, there might be some of you that would hear that, and you might say, well, that sounds a little too simple. I mean, I hear that every now and then. Like, that sounds too, too simple. And can I just say to you, you're right. Salvation is simple. And you wouldn't want it to be any more complicated because otherwise none of us would be able to attain it. Jesus did all of that for us. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, you can read about it sometime on your own. It's like one of the very first church meetings of the church leaders and they all get together. Here's what they're arguing about. How difficult should we make it for the Gentiles to enter into the kingdom of God? And James stands up and he goes, we shouldn't make it difficult at all. Like we, we, should, we should give everybody access to this Jesus because none of us is worthy of it. Now we might say, okay, well, what about, what about truth? What about Holiness, what about discipleship? What about doctrinal purity? I said salvation is simple. Spiritual growth, well, that's hard. And you know what? I think regardless of who you are or what you believe about God or where you're at spiritually, you already know that. I mean, if I were to sit down with you and you, if I had earned your trust enough to be able to speak into your life and you just sort of laid down the weapons and laid down the defenses and the explanations, I think you would just very easily, and I would with you as well, just simply say, man, I don't have it all figured out. I got some stuff I got to work through. I got some thing, I got some dark secrets in my life that I need to confess. I got some things that I'm doing or not doing that's actually really tearing my marriage apart. I've actually got some work to do when it comes to relationships or my anger issues or this anxiety that I really need to give over to God. And spiritual growth, like personal growth, or whatever you want to call that, it's, it works like this. Three steps forward, two and a half steps back. And I think all of us know that we got some stuff to work on. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, you come to me just as you are. And you receive this gift of grace that, I'm, that I died for you to have. And now with my help and my spirit living in you, let's get to work on some stuff. Let, let's begin to grow. Let's grow in uh, the fruits of the Spirit. So church, may we never forget this statement right here. We earn the right to speak any sort of truth into anybody's life by leading with love and by getting people to Jesus. Man, I love the heart of Matthew. We, we hear a story in Matthew chapter 9. And it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. And Jesus simply said, follow me and be my disciple. That's the same invitation that Jesus gives every one of us today. He just says, hey, would you just begin to follow me? And a disciple is a word for somebody who's just going to grow in their faith as they follow Jesus. And Matthew gets up and he follows him. So he's a brand new follower of Jesus. Now, what do you think he's going to do with his time? Well, he could start a Bible study. He could go on a mission trip. He could help little old ladies across the street. All those things would be great things to do. Here's the very first thing that Matthew does. Verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. And then these two words right here are key. Along with. Along with. He didn't just invite Jesus and his disciples over to his house so that way he could just grow as a follower of Jesus. He did it along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Matthew's heart is this. Man, I've just met this Jesus who's changed my life, and now I want my former colleagues and drinking buddies to meet the same Jesus that I've met because he's the only one 
that can change anyone. Now here's the question. Does throwing a party sound very spiritual to you? Well, there was a group of people that didn't seem to think so. Look at verse 11. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, and I think this is maybe one of the most tragic questions found in the Gospels. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? This is tragic. I mean, they just completely missed it. And you know what? There are times when I've missed it too. And due to our brokenness and sin, the human heart, by default, wants to put people into categories. So these people are in, those people are out. These people are okay, and these people are not okay. These people are acceptable, and those people are not acceptable. But listen, if everyone can't find hope at the foot of the cross, then nobody can. There aren't degrees of sin. There's just sin. There aren't categories of people. There's just people. And Jesus loves people, and he is the only one that has the power to free us from our sin. Therefore, as residents of this backward kingdom of God, we do everything that we can to get people to the Jesus that we know. So Matthew gets this, like, right away. The, the question that we have to ask of ourselves is, do we? Well, check out verse 12. Notice that uh, Jesus never gives the disciples a chance to respond to the Pharisees' smug question. Jesus just jumps right in. My guess is that his blood pressure is skyrocketing when he says this. Verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. So he's, this is a quote of the Old Testament. He says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Right, so what does that mean? It's actually a reference to the Old Testament prophet Hosea. And he's saying, listen, I don't want you just to go through the religious motions. I don't want you to just attend church on Sunday and sing the songs and go through the motions if you're not going to love people. He said, I, I would much rather you love people than just go through the religious motions. And then he finishes with this, verse 13. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. And the message of the church is hope. In a world that is shrouded by darkness and constantly knocking you and me down, the church should stand as a beacon of light, pointing people to hope that can only be found in Jesus. And they say, let me help you back up on your feet and let's continue to grow together. See, there are two primary things that happen uh, on the cross of Jesus that I think reveals the very heart of God and the very inclusive nature of his kingdom. When Jesus is, is on the cross, there is a conversation and then there's a curtain. And the conversation and the curtain reveal all of God's heart for us as people. And those of you who might know the, the crucifixion narrative, some of this is just going to be review for you. But Jesus is there hanging on a cross and he's not by himself. There's two other people hanging to, on his right and on his left. The, these are thieves. They've been... They've been caught in the act. They're guilty as charged. And so they're on the cross next to Jesus. And, and one of them begins to taunt Jesus. One of them begins to ridicule him. And the other one comes to Jesus' defense. 
And then he just simply says to him, would you remember me in your kingdom today? That's all that he says. Now notice all the things he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Jesus, I confess today that I'm a sinner in need of your grace. He didn't say that. He never said, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, I'd love to be baptized today. He didn't say that. All he said was, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom today? And Jesus looked right at him. And he said, you'll be with me. Does that sound simple to you? I mean, Jesus is revealing his heart here in this moment. And you can't say that Jesus was lowering the bar or watering it down because he didn't say that to the other thief. He didn't just say, well, there's no, there's no standards at all. You know, just come, come on in, just whatever. He didn't do that. No, Jesus was assessing this guy's heart. And he knew that behind the words of, would you remember me in your kingdom today? Came confession, came the recognition that Jesus was Lord, came the fact that he knew that Jesus had come to reconcile us back to God. And notice that Jesus didn't make it super complicated. And neither should we. The second thing is a curtain. See, there, there was this, uh, the, the temple of God that was built in the Old Testament. It was actually the place where God lived. And within the, the temple was this place called the Holy of, of Holies. And nobody was allowed there except for one person, the high priest. And, and what separated uh, the rest of it from the Holy of Holies was a really large curtain. In fact, it was 30 feet tall and it was four inches thick. And uh, only the high priest could go in. And when the high priest would go in, they would tie a rope around his torso or his ankle just in the event that he might die of a stroke or whatever. And nobody else could go in there to get the body. Otherwise, they would die too. So they could pull him out on a rope. That, that's a nice kind of comforting thought. And as soon as Jesus breathed his last on the cross... That curtain was ripped in two. Uh, not bottom to top, but top to bottom. Not, not, not bottom to top, meaning it wasn't like a little bit frayed at the bottom and somebody just came along and went. <laughs> no, it, this was God making a statement. 30 feet up in the air, it ripped from, two, from top to bottom, four inches thick. What do you think God was saying? God is saying, my son just paid it all. Now everybody has access to me. And then years later... Years later, I think this is what's on Paul's mind when he's reminding the Galatians of this. And he writes this in Galatians 3, 26. He says, for you are all children of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. And all of you who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is now no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, moral, morals are important, but moralism will not change hearts. Judgmentalism will not change hearts. Doctrinal purity, as important as it is, will not change hearts. That's why Jesus didn't give the woman at the well and Zacchaeus a theology quiz before he let him go. No, you get to Jesus first. And Jesus flings the doors wide open and he says, the invitation is there for any and all. You don't get all your stuff figured out and then come to me. You don't get all your questions answered and then come to me. You don't get yourself all cleaned up and then come to me. He goes, no, 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 no. You just come to me as you are. And you receive me by faith and I give you my Holy Spirit which seals your salvation and then guides you in your spiritual growth. So instead of hanging some keep out signs or only perfect people are allowed in here. What if we replace those with a few other signs? Here's a couple of examples. How about this sign right here? Uh, you're, you're invited. Th those are powerful words. 
Man, you're invited. Now, I know that it's kind of intimidating to invite people to, to church, especially in the day and age in which we live. But statistics still show that 50% of people said that if they're in relationship with somebody, like if they're friends with somebody, they'll say yes to an invitation to church. And we got a perfect opportunity next month with Christmas. This is, the, this is the time of the year when more people will show up to church than any other time. And we have like 7 billion services for you to invite them to come to. And I love that because you're like, well, do you want to come with me on this day at this time? Like, now nah, I'm busy. Well, we have another service at this day and this time, all right? And so just, just invite them to come. And don't just invite them. Here's the next sign. Say, hey, man, you, you can come, come sit with me. Just, just come sit with, with me. And there's something that can be intimidating about walking into a big room when you don't know anybody, but when you know somebody and you're sitting next to somebody, it's way better. How about this? Can I help you take your next step? So I think for a lot of people, they feel like they got to go from here all the way over to here. And no, you'd actually just say uh, spiritual growth is like a walk. And so, man, can I just help you take your next step, whatever that may be? How about this one? Uh, This is a safe place. This is a safe place. You're not going to be singled out. We want this to be a safe place where you can ask questions. This is going to be a safe place physically and emotionally and spiritually. Not a perfect place. Not a perfect place. But we're striving to be a safe place. How about this one? Hey, man, it is okay to not be okay. It's okay to be, not be okay. We all got stuff that we're dealing with. You cannot out God's grace. Stop giving yourself that much credit. You're not that good of a sinner. It is okay to be unokay. Now, it's not okay to stay unokay. Okay? Let's... Let's lean in and strive to be more like Jesus together. But man, you don't have to have your stuff all together before you come. How about this one? Why don't you come find some help and some hope? Come find some help. Come find some hope. Man, listen, as a church, we need to be hope dealers. And we have the best news available in and through Jesus Christ. And we continue to give that hope. I've got a good friend who uh, started a church in Michigan about... Uh, 13, 14 years ago, and uh, they've reached so many people that are far from God. And he was telling me this last week that when he first moved to that town, um, he went to the Great Clips, and uh, that's where he started getting his hair cut. And he met the, the girl that would cut his hair. Her name is Amy. And he said he just started going to Amy every month, and she would cut his hair, and they would begin to get to know each other a little bit. And she said, well, you know, what are you doing in town? He's like, well, I'm here to start a church. And she, Amy uh, did not know God. She did not grow up in church. And so she was a little bit nervous about that at first. But then they just began to get to know each other to the point that they were comfortable enough with each other. There, there was just this friendly banter that would go back and forth. And, and David would come in to get his hair cut. And as the church began to grow, like they've actually grown quite large. They've, they've reached uh, so many people for Christ. And she would see this and hear about it. And she's just like, man, she's like, you know, you know what kind of Kool-Aid are you guys serving over there? And, you know, and or what are you, a televangelist? And, you know, she would just kind of give him this kind of friendly banter. And David just take it in stride. And he'd be like, oh, Amy, man, we'd love to... We'd love to have you sometime. And she's like, ah, you, you don't want me in your church. It's like the roof would cave in if I walked in the door. You know, God would strike me down with lightning or whatever. And then David would be like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Like, we'd always love to have you. And, and it was just, she never re- accepted an invitation from him. But uh, for like a decade, he'd just go in to cut his hair, invite her to church. She'd kind of make a joke, kind of brush it off. Dave said about a year ago, he, he went in and to get his hair cut. Something had changed. Like he walked in and Amy wasn't her usual, uh, you know, self. And she was a bit uh, sober. And he just said, hey, you know, how's everything going? She goes, honestly, not great. It's like I just found out like a few months ago that my mom's got cancer and she's getting ready to go through chemotherapy and she's going to lose all of her hair. And honestly, I'm just not, 
I'm not doing great with this. And Dave's like, man, I'm so sorry. And as he's sitting there, he's trying to think what he should say to her. And at, at some point, he just said, Amy, if there was one thing you could do for your mom or give to your mom, like, what would it be? And she said, I'd, I'd get her a wig. She's like, I, I'm in the hair industry. Like, I would love to be able to give her that gift. And, and she said, but they're expensive, and I don't really have access to one, and I just don't know that I'll be able to, to swing it. And Dave is like, okay. And so she finishes. He goes out to his car, and he's sitting there, and he's, he's praying for Amy before he's getting ready to leave the parking lot. And, and it just sort of hits him. He's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I can help. And so he opens up his phone. He goes, I opened it to the Facebook. That's how he said it. And uh, he gets on the Facebook and he, he posts on his wall for his church family to read. He just said, hey, guys, does anybody have access to a wig? I'd just love to, to hear from you. And he said literally within five minutes, he had like uh, 10 wigs. Like people reached out to him and said, I've got one or I've got access to one or I know somebody or I'll actually help pay for one. And so he goes, I need to go right back in. So he walks back into the Great Clips. And anytime you ever like walk back into the place you just got your hair cut, everybody gets real nervous. <laughs> and he's like, what did we do wrong? Did we nick you? You know, whatever. And he's like, no, no, everything's great. He goes, I'd like to talk to Amy. And so Amy comes out. She's a little bit surprised to see him. And he says, hey, Amy. He said, I just wanted you to know, I just reached out to our church family and I, I, I got you a wig. And she just began to cry right there in the shop. And a few months later, he goes back in to get his hair cut. She said, hey, Dave, I, I checked out your church last week. It wasn't as weird as I thought, and the roof didn't cave in. And she went back with friends the next week and the next week. And, and he told us this last week. He said about six months ago, Amy came forward. And she gave her life to Christ, and she was baptized. And it all started not because Dave shamed Amy into anything, not because Dave made sure that Amy believed all the right things first. It just came through a simple act of the church being the church and saying, hey, regardless of wherever you land on this, we're going to love you right where you are. And then we let the Holy Spirit do what only he can. And see, that's the kind of church we're striving to be. We want to be a modnik kind of church to live out the values of this backwards kingdom of God. And so today, what I just want to do at all of our campuses is if you have, have never become a resident of the kingdom of God, I want you to know that you're invited right now just as you are today. And maybe some of you came here today, and on the way to church, you got into a really bad argument with your spouse. Like, it got nasty. And there was even a part of you who thought, maybe we should just turn around, because how can we actually show our faces in church today after what we just said? The invitation is for you. There's some of you here today, maybe you walked in here today and maybe you're hungover from last night or the night before. Maybe you were wrapped up in some sort of an addiction. Maybe you just looked at something last night. You know, you, you told your, your spouse you'd never look at again, you'd never do again. Maybe you're here today and you just like, I don't really know that I believe the right things or know the right things. Or if, ever, if I could just open up my life and people knew the deepest, darkest secrets of my heart, they'd probably throw me out on the curb. The invitation is for you. And Jesus just simply says, man, just come to me just as you are. You don't have to have all this thing figured out. The only thing you need to know right now is that there is a God and you're not him and Jesus is his son and he wants to be your savior. He wants to save you from whatever it is that's actually bogging you down and holding you back. And here's the beautiful thing. Not only does Jesus want to be your savior, he also wants to be your Lord. 
And lordship means, Jesus, I just invite you into every area of my life. I'm going to trust you more than my feelings on a certain area of my life because I believe that you have my best interests in mind. And so while it may feel counterintuitive to me, I trust you. And the biblical word for this is repent. It just simply means this. I've been traveling in this direction. I've been seeing something a certain way. And I'm just going to stop. And in humility, I'm just going to turn around. And I'm going to go this way. And I'm going to begin to chase after Jesus. And so Jesus is Savior and he's Lord. Now, when you respond to that, the, the physical thing that you do, the outward thing that you do to demonstrate that decision is just baptism. And it's this idea that I'm being buried as an old creation, raised as a new creation in Christ, and being washed of my sins and symbolic of that. I'm all in for Jesus. And now you begin to trust him as Lord. And I guarantee you that you will fall and mess up most likely by the end of the day. And that's why you lean on his grace like the air that you breathe. And you join the rest of us as we continue to walk towards Jesus in faith. And if, you're, if you'd like to receive Jesus today at all of our campuses, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. You know, every time in the New Testament, whenever there would be a presentation of the gospel like that, they would just give people a chance right then and there to make that decision. I think there's something powerful about that. I get the Holy Spirit's weighing in on you if you're feeling that discomfort in your seat. That the best thing to do from my experience is just to respond to it. Because if you don't, your, your heart actually grows harder to that call in the future. And so today we just want to give you an opportunity to just go and talk to some people and talk to them about what you're feeling and they'll pray with you. And if you're ready to be baptized today, we'd love just to do that with you. Maybe you came today not prepared at all to be baptized, but we got you covered. T-shirts and changing rooms and towels and all that kind of stuff. Man, what better way to just put a, draw a line in the sand and say, today I want to become part of the, the kingdom of God. Not by anything that I've done, but by the grace that Jesus gives to me. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it over to all of our campus pastors to give specific instructions. Would you just join me in prayer? Father, we come to you today. We're so thankful for the grace that you give to us and for the, the fact that your kingdom is, is a place where all are invited and all are welcome. We don't get into it by believing the right things or by doing the right things but we get into it by placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus on a cross. And that's just the beginning of our spiritual growth. And so Father, today I pray that we would never lose sight of that as a church family, that we would be a church primarily for people who are far from you. But if there's anybody here that's far from you and they wanna come near, I pray that they would respond to that invitation today, just to make you Lord and Savior over their life. God, if there's anybody here right now that's just feeling like I'm not worthy, I don't know that I'm ready, I don't know if I can actually do this today, God, I pray that your spirit right now would comfort them and pick up their feet and move them down that aisle. Do something powerful in this room right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastors right now. Here at Northwest, we're going to sing. We've created enough space in the service. We're just going to kind of end our hour together singing. And as we do, if you're ready, I just want to ask you just to go out these double doors, my right, your left, and there'll be some friendly people that would just love to talk with you and meet with you. And I know it's super intimidating. And so maybe you just want to reach over and grab the hand of the person next to you and go, man, I'm scared to go by myself. Will you go with me? And if you don't know them, you just made a new friend, all right? And I bet you they'd be willing to go. 
but we would just love to have you uh, today as we celebrate this together. So would you just stand to your feet? We're going to sing before your inner attorney can talk you out of it. Would you come? Would you come?